Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. So welcome to the HC Insider Podcast. This is somewhat of a different episode in that it's just me, and it's a special update on the FT Commodity Conference in Lausanne, which I've just left. I'm recording this on Wednesday the 22nd in some place much nicer than the Swiss mountains. I first of all just want to apologize for the change in audio quality. Hopefully it's sufficient to be able to listen to on a different mic and a different setup. But I did want to come with some of the key thoughts and quotes and takeaways from the conference, as it's one of those unique events where you really do have the global leadership of the commodity trading world, both the traders, the financiers, the insurers, and other stakeholders present talking about the opportunities and the challenges the industry faces. Big overview takeaway for me was that the conference was incredibly bullish on the prices of commodities in the future, the expectation that prices are going to go up potentially quite significantly as a result of a structural ongoing lack of investment in supply chains. That's probably likely going to be exacerbated by a Fed fund rate pause and a potential return to quantitative easing in the wake of the banking crisis that's unfurling, but also return to demand globally as we put COVID in the rearview mirror. That said, the trading environment is certainly not benign. And there's somewhat of an expectation that last year's profits were outsized by just the sheer volatility and disruption. But as that volatility and disruption embeds in the markets, particularly a lot of talk, and we'll come on to about self-sanctioning, trading is a really challenging environment. There's a risk-off environment. There was also a sentiment of excitement around the centrality of the commodity trading world to the globe at the moment and over the next 10 to 10 to 20 years with its role in energy transition and navigating a real shifting geopolitical environment. That's where the first panel kicked off, focused on geopolitics and its impact on the commodities sector, with notable panelists Starrick, head of commodities at Citadel, Rebecca Harding, a trade economist professional, and Jeremy Shapiro, who we hope to have back on. And I should note we had Seb on last summer on another panel on the podcast, Jeremy Shapiro, European Council on Foreign Relations, who we hope to have on as well. And Seb really kicked it off by saying that the what we essentially have happened is that the commodity markets were sold, but by a more inefficient supply chain. So much of the, the fragilities out there, the impacts of sanctions and so on, have had an impact on tightening in finance, this idea of potential existential risk coming from legal, at least the Western trading houses have exited markets, even when they were more grey, so to speak. But essentially, overall, this short term disruption has more or less been solved. And you can see that with LNG, for example, but at the cost, at higher costs, and at less efficient markets. And that's really a theme throughout, which is it's a very different trading environment. Jeremy Weir would go on to say in his keynote speech that the history of commodity trading pre-COVID, and he really traced it back to COVID and noted, or the panels themselves all noted, that Russia had really taken advantage of the environment rather than being the trigger 
for the current issues. But pre-COVID, commodity trading was very much how much, what price, and when can it arrive, to now not only how much, what price, different supplies, where are the supplies coming from, are they sustainably sourced, what are the counterparty risks, what are the stakeholders from bankers to insurers feel about this trade into how long might it? So a very challenging world for all of them. And the Saudis, that will become later important in another discussion on the in, on the oil markets. It's a just the, the overall disruption and challenging environment they face was really highlighted by this panel. And as Seb said, it is getting solved, but at much higher costs and much less efficient. And also much less transparent when it comes to those organizations working with Russia, for example, and Ben Lecoq of Trafigura will talk about that later on. The next panel was fascinating, was on China, which was about the bulls versus the bears, with notable panelist Michael Pettis, who if you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. He was actually at the FT 10 years ago or so, and is a Peking, a Beijing-based Peking University economist who has really been sounding a clarion call for the issues that China faces over its debt-fueled growth, noting at the start of the panel that you know China, it's all really investment-led. Most most economies, most countries have 25% of their GDP is through investment and the rest through consumption, whereas China is some 42% of GDP over the last 30 years, which is why they face such huge debt burdens. Um, Saad Rahim, and in fact, all of the panelists agreed that China will hit its 5% or probably exceed its 5% GDP target. There's somewhat he noted a two-speed recovery with services back, people going out to eat. Konya Hack, also on the panel, chief economist for head of research for EDF Man, pointed to increasing ag demand as people go out to eat. Really, the story for energy and for ags was positive as people start to travel, people start to eat. The question really was around, for the metals markets, was around investment and the property markets, where there were signs that the the property market was improving, as Saad noted. But Greg Wolf of Marex on the panel noted that it's very hard to tell, and this is a common theme from the event, no one wants to hold on to inventory in the rising interest rate environment. And that meant that it was quite hard to judge from inventories right now, you know, where prices were going. We ended with Michael Petters again talking about the debt increases in infrastructure spend and the property market probably not yet bottoming out. But the short-term picture on China was positive. The longer-term picture, east-west divide. And actually, I thought it was very interesting that Michael Petters spoke of really two Chinas, sort of a prosperous group of provinces, Guangdong, etc., where population was, demographics were good, there was growth. But then two-thirds of China where, you know, in less developed areas where you have a much more challenging demographic picture, very low growth and high unsustainable debt. Next was a panel discussing navigating sanctions, which was very interesting. Chris Eibel of Tiberius Group, France Church, the Secretary General for the STSA, the Swiss Trading Association, and Richard Barron of SOCAR. And really this highlighted both the challenges of self-sanctioning, the split in the world between dark trade and Western trade. And Chris noted that raw materials will eventually find their home. It does create this really challenging environment. Florence noted that only really 45 countries are following the sanctions and 150 are not. So you've got this bifurcation of the commodity trading world. 
from a risk management standpoint, they really spoke about this challenge of self-sanctioning and a very lucid few comments on this idea that so self-sanctioning, people aren't going to do trades unless all their stakeholders, banks, insurers, governments are on board. And given you've got these slim margins, it's best just not to do it if there's any doubt. But what that all means is you've got increased volatility and obviously an increasing cost of money environment with rates. So position sizes have been lower. You've had lots of liquidity come out of the market. That's led to less efficient exchanges. The OTC, once you're in the OTC world, you've got reputational risks, credit risks, you're doing KYCs, costs of compliance, cost of risk management are going up and decision making going down. And Florence really spoke to this about the fact that this is putting a real change on the talent landscape that these companies need with a real need to retool risk management, compliance, risk, etc. And we as HC Group are certainly seeing that, particularly in some of these disciplines that have been relatively low demand over the last decade of a more benign environment. Very interesting. Really, what's interesting is at this point, not much had been mentioned about Credit Suisse, given you know that Monday morning, the announcement came out that UBS had, had taken over it. I think on the whole, people were still really di- trying to digest that. Quite enormous news. Uh, there was one comment that how did how did one of the trading houses now feel about being the second largest company in Switzerland, namely Glencore. That moved us on to quite a star-studded panel and a very interesting one to my mind on critical metals. And I should note I didn't attend all the panels, but this one was with Costas Bintus of Trafigura, co-head of metals there, Guillaume de Dardel, Mercurius Head of Energy Transition, Julia Polisconova, the Head of Transport and Environment in Brussels, and hopefully will be coming on the show later this year, and Nick Popovich of Glencore, and masterfully moderated by Harry Dempsey of the FT. And we started off on the challenges of Europe, the West versus China, when it comes to securing both the supply, but also the processing of the metals that are going to come into the energy transition and the contrast between China's state planning for this over the long term and the West's more sort of Brownian motion approach, which I thought was interesting and valid. Obviously, at this time, the EU's Critical Mills Act has come out, which we're going to have Julia talk about on the show. Is We'll have a, is a, a, a strong bit of legislation and one that gives Europe some advantages in this. But Guillaume of Mercurio noted that the West versus China was very much like bringing a knife to a gunfight when it came to political heft and planning on these matters. The panel, and this was Costas that then brought this on, very quickly moved on to copper, and there we stayed, but really talking as copper as being the essential critical metal for energy transition, in that it was an energy independence obligation for EU, and the same was with copper. The worst environment for a very long time last year with a war, or zero COVID, and all the other challenges it faces, but it's essentially been recession-proof and they expect a big rebound. Nick of Glencore noted that copper was like at the casino, the house always wins. Um, And that in an electrify-everything environment, copper really is the metal to have and that very little has gone into new copper supplies as peak supply in 2024 was a note. And as Costa said, the IRA in the US and the EU Critical Metals Act has really poured flame of gasoline on the fire for that. And this is a, again, all very bullish on it. 
moving more broadly into the tra- trading house's role in energy transition, and actually Torbjorn Tongvist of Gunvor would highlight this later on, it really is a challenge for these trading houses and for anyone. It's a challenging environment in investing in these new technologies and new pathways because really the interest rate environment re- means that you're not trading on discounted cash flows anymore. You're, you need to do it on cash today. It's not the same benign environment, but also these technologies can face obsolescence. So it's, it is a challenging space. And again, I think that copper story is very much analogous to the oil story that we were going to go on to hear. Starting off very much, this is when sort of Credit Suisse and the banking crisis hit the panel. Jeff started off by saying, we do have a financial contagion. We don't have a physical contagion yet. So he saw the immediate regional sell-off as being just a reaction to broader sentiment but very quickly spoke about talk staying on the financial contagion using the analogy of 2006-2007, when, as he highlighted, regional banks were the first impacted countrywide, etc. Oil sold off, and then the Fed paused their interest rates hikes, which were 450 basis points in a very short time, so exactly what we've seen in 2022-23. And the oil went from 52 to 140 and he stressed that he wasn't predicting 140 but he will go on to make a prediction or two and he said the most bullish environment you can possibly imagine for the commodities world is commodities is the u.s slowing and china ripping if the u.s is slowing the fed will have to pause go back to qe that'll increase liquidity which is very bullish commodities and other asset classes in general and that we are seeing china demand returning. He also noted as well, macro level, long-term level, this is a another scarring event and it's going to take a while for funds to flow into the physical commodities world to address the long-term structural supply challenges. So he noted that his conviction in the super cycle theory is stronger today than ever because capital won't come in the system in as a result of the capex cycle and noted that the capex cycle is very much tied to the commodity super cycles as high interest rates, people put money into the real world and get more money going into the financial markets. And then he used the immortal phrase of, he said ESG is the same as crypto, but clarified these pie in the sky projects that he spoke about on this podcast. Green hydrogen is the same as crypto and that we're going to go back to the same environment as we did if the Fed does decide to pause. And by the time you're listening to this, we'll have a decision from the Fed. Don to China, he agreed with the previous panel that GDP would probably exceed 5%. Goldman Sachs have said it's going to be 6%. Oil demand going up, inventory going down. You know, at the base case that the Fed pauses, going to see copper and commodity markets go up. On the copper side, he agreed with the previous panel as well that the IRA and the EU Act is going to supercharge it and they see copper at 15,000 in the longer term. The HC Insider podcast is brought to you by HC Group, a retained search, intelligence and advisory firm focused solely on the global energy and commodity sector. With six locations across Asia, Europe and the Americas and over 50 consultants. To find out more, go to our website, hcgroup.global. There, you can also sign up for our HC Insider content for more interviews and white papers on relevant trends and talent impacts in the commodities world. The next panel of note was really Jeremy Weir of Trafigura, CEO of Trafigura, first asked about Trafigura's outsized profits from last year, and he pointed to 
the traders' houses are managing volatility, managing disruptive supply chains, and all of that requires a lot of capital investment, all of which the trading houses can do, or the large trading houses. And he also noted as well that actually, really, it was a story of greatly increased turnover, driving those profits rather than a real change in margin. He then was challenged on the nickel market, the latest near the $500 million fraud that Trafigura has been subjected to, following, I guess, what was, was quite a rehearsed line as echoed by other Trafigura panellists. This was a, they were the subject of a criminal and sophisticated fraud as opposed to it being a case of missing some check boxes and so on. Um, and asked why they went public. He pointed to the fact that they've gone focused on transparency over the last 10 years. These he Very much in a world of disruptive supply chains and energy transition, these trading houses have a crucial role to play and they believe in engaging in transparency. He was rather hilariously asked by the FT journalist whether the buck was going to stop with him and whether he should resign, to which the audience gave a good laugh. Asked about Credit Suisse, he noted that it's sad, obviously, to lose such an institution, but Trafigura have some 150 banks. I think he also pointed to this broader picture of the idea that it's bullish for the commodities markets, the lack of investment in supply side, etc., and these challenges, and the reorientation of global trips flows in the wake of a geopolitical changing environment. It doesn't make it a more easy trading environment which was essentially this idea that before COVID, it was how and what was the price and when can you get it to me? And now you're having to face an environment where it's not only how much and what price, it's do you have multiple supplies? Are those supplies responsibly sourced? Can it move? Can we work with you? Are you a counterparty that fits in our system, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it, the landscape, the entire landscape for these trading houses and the commodities world in general has seismically shifted from even just the event that we attended last year. Asked about Russian oil, Trafigura complies with sanctions. They're not moving any crude. They are doing some products, but they will constantly keep that under review, which is fair given the changing nature of these sanctions. Following that, the oil market panel, the oil markets in a low-carbon environment, we really didn't get onto low carbon too much, but Ben Lacock of Trafigura, Pierre Andorand, Stéphane de Gênes, of Gunvor, little discussion around why oil had gone down to lower, lower in the last couple of weeks. And actually, Jeff Curry was very good on talking about really, you see these level ups and level downs more in the wake of the banks having to hedging programs having to respond to hitting various thresholds. But that aside, the macro picture was bullish. And the expectation was that there's going to be a big run-up in the price of oil in, in later this year and beyond. And on the macro level, a very sharp rise as the lack of investment in new production is going on outside of the UAE and Saudi. And Halima Croft on the panel of RBC was fascinating. She spoke about, she spends a lot of time on PEC in Saudi in particular, where they've gone from seeing the US as the essential partner to now just one of a few and China's growing importance to them and them being very much Eastern orientated. And what does that mean for the US and the Biden administration in particular that has been so focused on stabilizing a lower oil price for domestic concerns? And the idea that historically the US has always been able to phone up the Saudis and they'll take the call and likely do the ask, that might, may no longer be the case. Halima said the Saudis will take the call, but now we'll be looking at that ask through the lens of their own economic policy 
And this may be a real consequence for later in the year when the US Biden might even be sent to voicemail. And the reason being that you you can, as they all pointed to, that we see there's very little, if there were to be an oil price shock, particularly Halima raised uh, Iran, if Iran were to become a nuclear state, that would cease those oils flowing. And there's no little upside in shale. There's little in storage. It could get really very tight. Cost inflation for producers, this is the story out of Syria, meant lower production costs in the West. And with that tightening supply and now even less investment, uh, as you noted, the oil markets got caught up in the macro world again. We could see a real tightening supply and therefore prices run up, especially if the Russians decide to weaponize oil. Halima pointed to the fact that the US policy has been very keen to keep Russian oil in the market, a lot of virtue signaling, but very deliberate policy to keep it in. So what happens if Iran gets close to nukes, political pressure to turn off those barrels, you could see a real supply shock. And again, it's unlikely that the Saudis are going to come to the West's rescue in releasing more supply. So quite a limited option set available to the US government to maintain their policy of low oil. Ben Luckock of Trafigura had some very interesting comments around the unintended consequences of these sanctions in that over the last 30 years, with respect to Russia, there's been built a very highly efficient global trade with experts at the helm. The impacts have been essentially twofold in that the large companies, i.e. Trafigur and the others, have removed themselves from the molecule flows out of Russia. Those molecules have then gone eastwards to doing long-haul, less efficient market trading, and the buyers have changed. And the issue is, the danger being that it's become less there's less experience and less transparency. Many of these com- companies are a few months old. You notice sort of 19-year-olds at the helm of shipping tankers, and that could have serious consequences for the environment if there is such a disaster given that. Then I asked about how, and I should note that Harry Dempsey of the FT was, a, I thought, moderated this excellently. How is this getting financed? These barrels going the other way. And the answer lying in, in Russia giving finance and credit because the banks certainly aren't doing it. So it's really gone from mainstream mechanics into quite a dark world. And this echoes back to the first panel talking about dark trade and the West trade and how, as Seb Barrett noted, that's led to a less efficient, more costly global commodity markets. Talking about it's all about EVs, you know, using around 25 million barrels a day. You know, that car fleet takes some 10 years to roll over. So even if we're looking at 2030, it's still quite a way off. And all of the panel agreed that it's not going to be a sharp fall off after peak demand, whenever that is. It will be a plateau and then a gradual decline and that we need to invest now to replace the sort of 4 million barrels or so a a day that are coming off each year from just existing supply. Very interesting. Halima spoke to other Saudis worried about peak demand. And 30 is all actually really about social transformation so that the Saudi government doesn't become the last employer and that the UAE and the Saudis are still making investments in crude production, you know, at a very strategic uh, level. Discussion moved on to products talk about the challenges last year in diesel, obviously constrained refining capacity in the short term, some mega refineries coming on in Asia in a couple of years, so that should alleviate. And then the classic holding people to account around what they thought the oil price was going to do. 
Ben Luckock, I thought, made, again, some very lucid comments around this. It's so hard to predict and that we've essentially moved away from a cyclical environment to one of a much harder to predict, potentially much more volatile, a period of incremental volatile, as he described it. So we're going to have significantly higher prices for shorter periods in the future. But all of them have agreed on oil being back above 80 later in the year. All of the discussion around short-term shocks and generally constrained supply Pierre Onderon predicted $140 at the end of the year, even with none of these sort of shocks coming from Iran. So very bullish there. Next up was uh, Russell Hardy. The next one I saw was Russell Hardy, CEO VTOL, talking about their year. Very interestingly, he spoke about reinvesting their profits in assets and the strategy around that, speaking between energy transition and conventionals. But again, I think he really highlighted this idea that, yes, last year, was a very, obviously, profits were excellent across the board. Even if there's a macroeconomic picture of commodity prices rising, it's not necessarily going to be a same opportune environment for traders as it was last year in a general sort of challenging environment to trade, risk off, and less less liquidity out there could cause its own problems. He was asked about what that meant for talent and with traders this year getting, or last year getting, outsized bonuses what does that mean for retention and what does it mean for recruiting in a world where so many people have such large deferred compensation he poo-pooed that and spoke to VTOL's internally strong talent pipeline and it was the navigating trade finance and liquidity with Christine McWilliams a friend of the show one of our early episodes of Citigroup talking about again this emphasis on self-sanctioning the need to have all stakeholders to be able to do these trades and the impact that that is having on the commodities sector obviously there was a discussion around the margin call issues that was the hot topic of the last ft conference somewhat in in the rearview mirror as there's been obviously that's been now raised as a challenge there's been a big focus on forecasting and analytics and optimization of trades when it comes to cash consumption but it, the overall point being, especially I think we're still managing the wake of the, what's going on with the banking crisis right now, what that means. And it just means increased uncertainty and increased costs for everyone. And almost this sort of concept of weaponization of trade and a more polarized, deglobalizing world and just the added complexity that makes for everyone involved and the challenges and some of the opportunities there. I mentioned that was the final one. The last one I saw actually was Torbjorn Tornquist of Gunvor, who really spoke with passion when asked about his succession plans, about how excited he is for the commodities world over the next 10, 20 years and all the people within it, as it becomes crucial to governments and society to help navigate in this centrality in energy transition. He also spoke to the challenges highlighted previously on investing in energy transition and noted how expensive it is these is not cheap it requires subsidies it subsidies sorry and it requires long-term commitments from governments as well but that there's no clear path and that in some ways we're further away from it than we were last year as global carbon emissions inexorably rise he also spoke a little bit about the refining industry spoke to their refinery in germany and how that has been a strong performer, but we'll see how that plays out in a couple of years when these refineries come on from Asia and in the Middle East. So I guess in, in summary, the major themes were macro bullish commodities. I think there's a lot of people there 
buying copper ETFs and oil ETFs, but that doesn't necessarily translate into a benign trade environment with all this, the complexity that Jeremy Weir eloquently spoke to that the trading houses now face, and that really from a talent perspective, these organizations are really having to respond to building up the processes and the capabilities to navigate lots of challenges that really the commodity trading world had been solving over the last 10 years in terms of efficient markets and efficient trade flows. So an excellent event. Certainly, it was enjoyable for me spending time with our chairman, Simon Collins, and my colleague Damien Stewart was there as well. As always with these conferences, the most interesting discussions and meetings are having outside the conference room. But it's one of those unique conferences where really the leadership of the sector turns up and some real debate around the challenges. And I think that all culminated in this idea that companies are now so crucial in global trade and are going to be pivotal players in the energy transition. Exciting times ahead. We'll see how the banking crisis unfurls. So thank you very much for listening. And if you have any questions or comments, please direct them to me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and HC Group, a search and advisory firm dedicated to the commodity markets, visit our website at www.hcgroup.global. There you can find out more about our services and our offices around the world. There you can also find more content from interviews to insight pieces to more podcasts focused on the commodity value chains. Thanks again for listening.